So, Jared. Yeah. I'm very excited to say we're going to another drive-in. Oh, yes. Black Widow. Oh. I know you want to see... Wait. Oh, wait. It looks like it's going to rain. Oh. You know what that means. What? We are going to have to miss that one. Oh. And instead, watch the wrong Missy. So no ScarJo? No ScarJo. Just Despa. Despa. David Spade. That sounds so much worse. Despa. Today on Banquet at the Flum Dumpster. (laughs) How drab, how dull critique can be. It's begging and pleading for apathy. The good, the bad, the in-between. And nothing is everyone's cup of tea. No time to waste, there's things to do. Happy to. They'll suffer the worst of films for you. So enter the strangest of banquet rooms. Hello! Hello, everyone! Oh, yeah. Thank you for that theme song. Thank you for that Disembodied theme song. Disembodied voice of music. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, uh, we've got a fun one today, I think. Uh, you think? I think. I think. I, I don't know. We were watching a Netflix original today. Oh, Netflix. Netflix is really good at putting out premium content. Premium content. Premium yeah. content. Um, What's your favorite Netflix original movie? My favorite Netflix original movie? Or series. We'll go with or series. I... I See, series come to mind faster because there they're are really such gems on Netflix... Yeah, uh, I'd guess for you, Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is pff, one of my favorite things that exists of all yeah. time. Uh, the Get Down is another underrated mm. gem on Netflix. Netflix has put out some quality content that I have developed some strong personal relationships with. What about Hubie Halloween? That is a little bit further down. Yeah? On the list? Okay. So, like, you know how they have that long-term partnership with Adam Sandler? Oh, I mean, I'm going to pretend like I don't know about that so that you can explain it to me. You know, they signed a multi-picture deal with him um, that included Hubie Halloween, which I think he referred to as intentionally the worst movie ever. Was it intentionally, or did he just make it feel really unsatisfied by it and then no. decide that it was his worst movie ever. I feel like, it, you know, when you go into something and you're like, I'm going to make a deliberately bad movie after Uncut Gems, then, like, you take <laughs> oh, notice. Oh, right. I remember that story. I remember yeah. that story. He was like, yeah, he didn't get enough attention for Uncut Gems, and he's like, I'm going to make a deliberately bad movie. But we're not watching Hubie Halloween today. We've no, I don't know why that. you brought up Hubie Halloween. Because this is under the same banner. Okay, so explain the details of this exclusive deal that Adam Sandler has with Netflix. I understand it. His production company, Happy, Happy Madison, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, has a deal with Netflix that they just get the, the next few movies. And so um, he likes to spread the love a little bit. Uh, and he gives stuff to his friends. Like oh. Rob Schneider. And David Spade, and probably Kevin James might get one. Uh, and so this was David Spade's turn, though I'm sure that he's probably going to make a cameo. Rob's probably going to make a cameo. 
maybe even Kevin James, you know, oh. his buddies. Anyone who is in Grown Ups might make a cameo. <laughs> is Grown Ups just Adam Sandler with his friends just vibing, yeah. just having a good time? I'm pretty sure, like, Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2 were just like, uh, guys, do you want to just go, like, to a water park and film it? Um, and then, <laughs> hey, do you want to just go camping and, like, film it? I think we get Taylor Lautner out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're missing the part where they go camping film it, and get paid for doing so. Yes, sorry, yes. Yeah. I, I always forget that for some reason Adam Sandler gets paid for his stuff. But now, we should take a step back here. Yeah. Because I think that there is a significant amount of people who actually like Adam Sandler's stuff. There definitely are. So I guess we have to ask the same question that we asked with F9. Yeah. What makes the latest Happy Madison motion picture qualify for Banquet at the Flum Dumpster? So I, I think that there is just a general perception, and it could be, could be right, could be wrong, but like anything that comes out of an Adam, the Adam Sandler brand is generally looked at as being low culture. I'd... I'd concur i like there's an audience observe. for it mm -hmm. there's like clearly an audience for it they're all quite successful and it's it reminds me a lot of like tyler perry's movies mm. where like tyler perry's movies consistently get like torn apart by critics particularly the like Medea movies they get mm. torn apart by critics and then with like top the week at the box office like, I, I remember, like, when I was working at anyone, we had those movies, and it was like, we, we knew. We, like, knew. The audience was there. They were going to go for it. And we didn't, like, it didn't matter if it was a good movie. It, like, he has his brand. People will follow something. Like, they'll be like, okay, Adam Sandler's got a new movie. I know exactly what I'm getting with this. So before we watch this movie and immediately hate it and immediately tear it to shreds, yeah. Like, speaking in good faith here, as neither of us are really within the demographic of Adam Sandler or Happy Madison or uh, any of these kind of low-culture popcorn comedy films, what do we think is the appeal here? So, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for the fact that, like, it is a type of comedy that's, like like on the edge of political incorrectness usually mm. there's usually that like brand of toilet humor that appeals to like teens and kids and then there's a mix of the like like slightly sexual content for the adults that might go over the kids heads but that appeals to that like base like oh this is a raunchy comedy the kind that they used to make in the 80s but don't make anymore because people get offended by it hmm well i'd, I'd like us to uh take a moment and actually um clarify what we mean a bit when we say political incorrectness because that's mm -hmm. a bit of a phrase that uh i've seen thrown around a lot lately and yeah. it's it's like, the definition of it is always difficult to pin down because For it's sure. being used in so many different contexts everywhere from, like, a, 
uh, a right-wing boogeyman that's going to invade your schools and infect your children uh, to like a like a form of like like misplaced table manners that's that's mm-hmm. just like totally arbitrary and uh, and I I I feel like the way that it gets invoked uh, merits a little bit of clarification on our part because yeah. Yeah, I think in this in this case, I'm using it like when you look at Adam Sandler movies, they fall into that like, you know, I guess what is referred to as like a culture war where it's, you know, these are the types, like what I was saying with the types of jokes you can't say anymore or like... Quote, unquote, of, in quotes. In quote, yeah. Yeah. Like it's the, you know, type of humor that is, you know... Now, now we can't make jokes about races and sexes and, you know, sexual assault. Oh, no. And, like, I remember with The Ridiculous Six, there was controversy um, around it. And I think for good reason, because, like, the types of jokes in it are like, oh, you have this indigenous woman who is referred to as wears no bra. And it's like... Yeah, that's a type of joke that, you know, you you can consider dated, even though this came out in, like, 2016. Um, and I think that's that's where it's, like, the people who are like, yeah, I liked making those jokes. I want to still see movies like that. And that's, like, the entire, you know, quote-unquote brand of humor that these movies try to provide. But, yeah, it was, it like, it's the type of thing where, like, uh those those kinds of jokes like we knew they were wrong in the 80s yeah. we like we knew that uh you know making fun of indigenous sounding names a group that was colonized and brutalized by you know dominant forces in our society we we, like we always knew that that was wrong and like if you if you look at those jokes and like really sink your teeth into and into them and and like try and dissect them there isn't really a joke there other than i know this is wrong but i'm going to say it anyway no and there were also movies that were like, it, it, you know, at the time you'd see like Blazing Saddles was pushing the envelope and you're like, okay, this, you watch it now and you're like, this feels weird. Why is this like this huge classic movie? And you have to hope that it's not for those jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but like at the time it was even seen as being like, oh, Mel Brooks is going kind of far with these jokes. Like, he's pushing the envelope. And it's like, now we're, like, at a, at a point where pushing the envelope isn't seen as this, you know, reverent, like, oh, wow, I can't believe he did that. It's like, I can't believe you did that. That's <laughs> it, an interesting way of putting it, because it is the type of thing where, like, uh, the way that we talk about this brand of humor now is as if it's something that you know existed in the past but has been lost to history um but it 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 it, sounds like it it sounds like it's like it's just it's no different now than it was then the only difference is that now we have social media 
and it's a lot easier to, you know, stumble upon the types of people who don't like that brand of comedy. Yeah, it's the the voices saying, like, these shouldn't be jokes we're telling anymore are louder. Yeah. And, you know, those were always there, and it was just, like, I think that the the movies that have them are also worse. Because yeah. all of the jokes are the same, mm-hmm. they're just being done after the originals. And you're like, okay, uh, we're no longer going to treat this like it's an auteur, you know, <laughs> telling, like, this brilliant farce. It's Adam Sandler. And yeah, know? but, like, back to the the thing that you were saying about um uh about these movies appealing to a kind of lower demographic or a lower sensibility mm. of humor uh i feel unsatisfied by that to be honest i feel but like i think that i think that that's if you go if you break down like what what the desired humor is in these mm-hmm. it's not like you're not looking at sharp writhing and dialogue. No. You're not looking at, like, you know, awkward sitcom-like situations. Those aren't the types of comedy that you're looking for. You're looking at, like, that base, like, chuckles and, you know, like, instinctual cringe comedy. Yeah, and I feel like... I feel like the reason why I disagree with you is because I think that calling it like a like a base level of comedy does a bit of a disservice to this audience. I feel like it kind of talks down to them. And I feel no, like I I don't think so. I when I say base, I mean more broad. That okay. it's like it's it's one that has a broader appeal than something that might be considered like a higher brow of comedy. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how people yeah. generally look so at it. So I, I I get the I get the impulse to want to watch uh like a, a silly, unpretentious movie full of fart jokes. Yeah. Um so the people who are watching these movies, they're looking for those kinds of like that kind of unpretentious entertainment that isn't trying to be high art and is like i i almost think that the fact that these low art comedies are almost explicitly defining themselves in opposition to high art you know through their fart jokes through their explicitly sexual content uh that's like just immature enough to feel like it's appealing to a 14 year old but just mature enough to not want to bring your 14-year-old to. Like, I feel like it's leaning into an aesthetic of badness, and I think that it's absorbing that badness into its own identity, and I think... I'm starting to think that it's that specific awareness of watching a bad movie that's not trying to be high art, that doesn't want to be good art, but is just putting these weird, silly, lazy characters on screen for you to laugh at for 90 minutes 
and then completely forget about once they're gone. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that there's also, like what, what you mentioned about the laziness of it, like the, I think that there's something to be said for like, you relax a little when you kind of have that expectation of, okay, the filmmaker, like, they their their whole thing was like, they're making this not to be art, like an mm-hmm. art piece. They didn't work for years on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. This was something that was pumped out. And like, I think that the the style of it that you, you were talking about, it's also like, if you trace it back to like the screwball comedy, mm. you know, in the 1930s, 1940s, that was one of those like prime genres for audiences where these screwball mm-hmm. comedies that this, I think, really has its roots in. And when you look at like how this, like those, those comedies, they were pumped out through the studio system, but they were mm-hmm. looked at at that time as being kind of these like higher caliber of film. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like screwball comedies were getting like best picture nominations and like acting awards and stuff like that. Like they were being recognized because they were popular. And I think that part of it is that like these those types of comedies faded away into being like not the studio's prime comedic output mm. you know like the the broad appeal of a comedy and like they they've resurfaced you know every once in a while like in the in the 80s especially like when Eddie Murphy mm. started getting like his whole film career he brought that back Robin Williams had those like you'd center it around a star and Adam Sandler's like one of the later ones of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that with him, there's this particular brand of like where Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy, you felt like, okay, these were like these talented slapstick screwball artists that you could be like, okay, these, these people like no comedy. Mm-hmm. I feel like there isn't that same kind of reverence for someone like Adam Sandler. No, there's a sense with someone like Adam Sandler where you almost wonder where he got all this success to begin with. And I think that your observation that it allows the audience to relax a little bit is right. It's right on the on the nose there. Because mm-hmm. I, I think it's the type of thing where, like, when you watch... Uh, 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 like a, a a Robin Williams comedy, for example, you see the care and the love that Robin Williams is putting into his mm-hmm. characters, um, wh- and and you feel a certain maybe unconscious pressure to put that same amount of energy or an equal or uh, somehow reflective amount of energy back into the film that you're watching. But conversely, when you watch an Adam Sandler comedy, when you're watching a comedy where it looks like nobody involved really cared at all about the production of the film itself, you do get to relax a little bit. You don't need to be paying full attention to the screen the entire time. You can let your thoughts wander. You can, uh, you know fall out of interest with the plot for a while and jump back in and be able to figure out what's going on. You can play on your phone the whole time and not really miss anything. Like, it gives you the opportunity to relax as a viewer because nothing... Because you know that you're not really insulting the people behind this film 
by not engaging with it to the fullest extent that you can because they didn't they don't really look like they cared a lot about the production of it and you look at a lot of adam sandler's characters too like off the top of my head i can't name any of them but there are a lot of like jack or jill no but there are a lot of like slacker types right yeah they're always slacker types they're always like just like skimming by on their own ego and it like it has a it like it speaks in a little bit of a metatextual conversation with adam sandler's persona like the 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 just the general aesthetic of his movies yeah and i think that there is like he's gotten to the point of his career where he's he's pumping these out and he knows that he's he's a brand Mm -hmm. but like i think that there's also the fact that like when you say where did his success come from he worked hard to get there through saturday night live Mm -hmm. and you could see the effort in his first movies maybe not all of them but like if you look like happy gilmore 51st dates these are ones that you feel felt like they were successful and like people really liked them because he cared about them and he went a little against type. He went like mm. more sincere. He wasn't doing the like, you know, caricature of himself that like he's kind of become known for. And we're talking a lot about him when we're looking at David Spade, but like David Spade, I think followed a fairly similar career path. Like his mm. early stuff, like he was also on Saturday Night Live. That's obviously how he, I think knows Adam Sandler. Um, but like you look at stuff like Tommy Boy, which is looked at like that's that's a comedy classic for a lot of people, you know, and it's somebody's like favorite movie actually probably, <laughs> you know. I'm just saying like that. It's one of those things where it's like people really like that movie, mm-hmm. and that was one where it's like okay, he was playing the straight man, and it might not have been his movie, but he could see the effort there. But now, when he's like, okay, I'll just do stuff. Because, like, I get to go to these fancy places, like, wherever this the wrong Missy takes place. He gets to just take a trip there and film a movie and get paid for it. And I think that's all he needs. Mm. But we've probably talked a lot. Yeah. Uh, we got more of an interesting conversation than I was expecting to get out of this movie that I know nothing about. <laughs> um. But I think we, we we might be stalling because we don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. Should we bite the bullet? Let's do it. Um, okay. We'll see you after this intermission. Spoilers um, for The Wrong Missy. Follow this musical interlude. I don't know why you would want to watch it. I mean, I just gave a whole lot of speculation, but... Wish me luck! Remain on the edge of your seat in a moment Your hosts will return with the fruits of their suffering Every last thought that is currently buffering too The time has arrived, their opinions will now debut Hey there! Before we start on part two, I'm just going to give a brief content warning that early in this section there will be some frank discussion of sexual assault. If that is something that you don't want to hear about on this particular day for whatever reason, I will not be personally upset if you decided to go listen to something else. That's totally fine. Otherwise, 
what follows is our thoughts on the wrong Missy, whatever those may be. Well. Well. That was the wrong Missy. We, we did say that there is an audience for this type of movie. There is. We came to that conclusion. We came to that conclusion. And do you know what? After having that conversation, I did spend the first 30 minutes of this film maybe not liking it, but appreciating it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really do feel like there are parts of it that work. Small parts, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I um I think that when when talking about this movie, you you have to acknowledge that um let let's just put it again the 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 slight on the other side of that like politically correct because I just want to get right out of the way um, that like as soon as they had the second rape scene played for laughs, there's no coming back for me for a movie. Yeah. Like, when um, you play two rape scenes for laughs, that you're going to then have the characters get together near the end? Get together in the end? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like it goes beyond that, though. Like, I feel like it goes... Like, this is this is more than just the, like, the, the, the raunchy, uh like stuff that we were talking about before the like oh, yeah. the like the joke is that you know it's wrong and you're doing it anyways if like this this feels worse yeah, somehow no, like poli- politically incorrect isn't isn't the thing that we can say here because it's like Adam Sandler's political incorrectness is usually like Oh, you know, like with the ridiculous six, we mentioned this before, mm. where it was like he got in trouble because he showed, you know, like uh, these indigenous stereotypes, and like you're like, okay, so in Hollywood history, this has been going on for so long that maybe he was just like, oh, I'm like parodying westerns and I've done this for forever, and there's like a whole documentary that's actually interesting about this. Oh, that, uh, it's called Real Injun, like I N J U N. Um, that goes through the whole history of indigenous representation in Hollywood films. And so, like, you could say, like, okay, maybe he just was doing this parody or whatever. There's, there's no way that he would be able to come out, like, anyone would be able to come out of this and be like, no, like, we, like this is actually, you're misinterpreting this. Mm. This is, like, this is this, like, there's a fine line here, and it's, like, there's... There's no other way of interpreting this. Yeah, like I, I, it, it, it sounds a bit generous to me to 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 like frame it as like Adam Sandler, it, you know, played with stereotypes in the Ridiculous Six out of good faith. Um, no, but that's what he was claiming. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's clear. that's. What I don't I, think that. <laughs> no, I don't I, think you I think, think that. I'm saying I, that I, like. <laughs> I, I think that his framing of it is generous towards himself. Yeah, um, he was. That was his defense. He was like, "Oh yeah, six people quit from my set because my <laughs> film was racist." 
No, they were just they just can't take a joke. It's like what? Um but like once once we get into like rape joke territory, that's like another thing entirely. And yeah. like th- this is like these are like these are like male rape scenes played for laps. Like where are the MRAs? Where are the meninists boycotting the wrong Missy? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, is it because it's a male rape scene oh, that absolutely. they feel like it's okay? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that's like, that's, that's the trope. That's the trope that, that's being played on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Big Stan all over again. Oh, God, don't remind me of Big Stan. Yeah, but it is. But it is. Yeah, where do we want to start with this one? Well, I, I, I think we could start with that. Um, because, so one, okay, rape slash sexual assault. Uh-huh. Because um, in, in both cases, um, some, like, it's, it's, it's just interesting. Because, so the whole plot of this movie is structured around Missy, the wrong Missy. The wrong Missy. Brief um, summary of the plot David Spade has a really bad blind date with Melissa, a.k.a. Missy, and decides to never talk to her again. He, uh, rom-com style, bumps into a random woman in the airport who he instantly hits it off with. She's perfect. Um, and exactly like him. Exactly like him. Uh, and then... Uh, Even at the same first three digits of the phone number. I know. Five, five, five. Crazy. What a coincidence. Uh, and then, and then there's a there's a work retreat. He decides to invite uh, the other Melissa, but he sent a wrong text message, and he invites the first Missy, the wrong Missy, the one whose character is structured perfectly around doing everything wrong at every possible moment. Um, and and but he grows to like her over time, and spoiler alert, they end up together in the end. That's yeah, that's like, that's. That's the thing is like the the whole point of this movie is is based around that cringe comedy. Yeah. And you do know? you know what? I will say that if it weren't for some of the more egregious things that she does, I feel like there is a charm to Missy. Yeah. There like, like it, there is an eccentricity to her there is a sense of like why why are these the things that this film has decided are the worst things that she could possibly do um and there is there is like a there there is a sense that she does mean well it it just it struck this balance where it was like you both had the the scenes that you're talking about where it was like oh she has this eccentric thing and then you're kind of like annoyed with the screenwriter that these things are meant to be the worst things that somebody could do and you're like yeah but that's kind of charming and then there's the stuff that's actually so bad that make you hate the character Uh uh-huh and the blend of those just makes you kind of hate everything yeah yeah um let's let's I actually, I took notes during this movie. I started writing down um, all of the things that the movie decided were some of the worst things that this character could do. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to list them out a little bit, if you don't list mind. a few of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, giving impromptu psychic readings to David Spade's co-workers at the work retreat. Um, she's very open about her sexuality and her sexual experiences. Very willing to give tips to other people, even when they don't want them. Um, in a professional setting, especially. It, like, especially in a professional setting. Like, just, like, first thing she says to somebody who's like, oh, here's my boss. She's like, oh, cool. This is the sex I just had with him. Yeah. Um, uh, she she drinks a lot. Um, a lot. Uh, including hand sanitizer. Uh, ha, 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 ha. She's an alcoholic. Um... She, uh, at one point, jumps off a cliff, misses the ocean, hits the beach, hits a couple of rocks on the way, and survives. Um, Yeah, like, head into a rock, uh body into a tree, flat on a beach, about, like, 100 feet straight down, fine. Just kind of walks it off. I was quite frankly reminded of a lot of the Captain America movies while watching this at how many characters are able to fully recover immediately from falls from absurd heights. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only halfway through my list though. This also includes uh, using a sleep apnea machine because that's a thing that only weird people do. Um, Falling into the ground Eating a sandwich in bed, um, constantly claiming to be a different kind of doctor, like a different one every time, uh, pretending to be a sea monster in any bathtub or swimming pool named Hellstar, um, and and then and then of course the the. The two different rape scenes, which is, of course, oh, the... I, I, I also want to mention um, the the thing that got him to like her. Oh. Which was the combination of hypnotizing his boss. Mm-hmm. You know, that really seemed to, to put it over the top. And then um, proposing that she have a threesome with him and his ex-fiance, and then they just spent the whole scene kicking said ex-fiance in the face until she leaves. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about that scene in a whole other part of this podcast because I, I felt like, I felt like it would constitute a tangent because I can't talk about that scene without talking about the, uh, the fact that it was a sex scene set to a folksy cover of my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack. Yeah. Folksy is, like, a generous word for it. it was, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, the, that, that, list of, that list of things that, that Missy has done, some of them, like, using a sleep apnea machine, are totally normal things that people do. Eating a sandwich in bed, that's fine. Uh, she has, like quirky cool mannerisms like if it was just on her mannerisms alone i think that she'd be a cool person but then we oh, get you also forgot about when she threw up into the ocean and had a shark almost kill him 
I bet that to the listener who has not seen this movie, that sounds like you're making that up, but you're not. That did happen. No. She, yeah, she did. was fighting over a bucket with Rob Schneider. Oh, you don't um, need to describe the circumstance. <laughs> I think that she throws up into the ocean and attracts a shark to attack David Spade. You don't need to go into more detail than true. that. Our listener yeah. can imagine what led to that moment. Um, and Rob Schneider was there, and Rob Schneider punched the shark. Um, but I, 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 like, I feel like I want to talk about how Missy's characterization could have been like, an, uh, like it could have worked as a kind of like unintentionally endearing sort of thing. Like I wanted to watch this movie and root for Missy and go. Why is David Spade treating her so poorly? She deserves better. Um, but then you get to things like sexual assaults played for laughs. Uh, and it is it is the, the type of thing where it definitely fits into that trope of, uh, you know, when a male character is the victim of sexual assault, it is more often played for laughs because there is an assumption that he quote-unquote wanted it, um, which is very Even much... Even though he was quote-unquote unconscious. Both times. And by quote-unquote, I mean just... Literally unconscious. unconscious because she force-fed him dog tranquilizers. Mm-hmm. Um... You say stuff like this out loud and you realize the kind of movie that you just watched. Like, I know yeah. the kind of movie I just watched, but there's something yeah. about saying that out loud that... It we may... also didn't get into, like, all of the jokes that fell completely flat that didn't even concern them. Like, the whole supporting cast mm. of this movie just across the board failed in every way. What like, do you mean by Failed. Much... Just there was not a like a good performance across the board in this. Um, Hurley from Lost for that one scene. For sure. that one scene. Yep. Um, also, there was there was the one uh, actor who you before I reminded you that Rob Schneider was in this movie felt was the worst actor in this movie. Yeah. Uh, why don't you talk about her? You mean Adam Sandler's wife? She's not Adam Sandler's wife. She is Adam Sandler's wife. Uh, I also saw on the IMDb page that Adam Sandler's son, whose name is, of course, Jared, yeah. is in this movie. Uh, why is it that there are no good Jareds in this world? <laughs> That's just a tangent. But, like, Jared from Subway, Jared Kushner, Jared Sandler... Am I actually a horrible person and I don't realize it? Just I by way of my name? You, you need to redefine what it means to be a Jared. I suppose so. So that was a tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Adam Sandler's wife. Um, Adam Sandler's wife. If we felt like her, his influence wasn't in this movie. Yeah, like his name isn't anywhere, but his son is there. His wife is there. His entire style of humor is there mm -hmm. like we were we were talking about this as if it were an adam sandler movie in the first half of this podcast as if adam sandler held some kind of authorship over this film and he doesn't I still feel appear, like he did, 
Yeah, exactly. He doesn't appear in the credits, but his voice is all over it. Yeah. And also his family. It's it's one of those things where it's like the whole the whole genre, like he's carved out this specific like I want to say 2010s. It's a niche. He's yeah, carved like, out an entire niche of a genre that belongs to him. Like there is yeah. a a spit like his his influence, his hands may have been nowhere near this movie, even if his wife, son, family, and friends were all involved in this movie and Vanilla Ice. Um, but he, his, like this, this is an Adam Sandler movie, not in the, not in terms of authorship, but in terms of genre. Like, yeah, it's impressive almost that he created such a name for himself that an entire style of movie can speak with his voice even when he had nothing to do with it well it's not that he had nothing to do. it was still happy madison yeah like the, his production company made this so like i think though he was just the executive producer i don't think he was even a producer and he doesn't like, direct anything no he it doesn't matter though he could have he could have been like sitting on a couch in his home just raking in the money from this but it doesn't matter his voice mm-hmm. is on this this is an adam sandler movie because adam sandler is no longer a person it is a brand it is a genre of cinema and that's what we all have to live with now and it's kind of fascinating and I don't yeah. think I have anything else to say about the wrong Missy. Do you? The the one other thing that I'm gonna add, just in case there was somebody who still wanted to watch this movie, just just as to to the the viewer out there who ignored our warning for all the spoilers, <laughs> and who said, you know what, I like this this doesn't sound so bad. Um, I will say that. I, I came into this knowing what kind of movie this was going to be and what kind of character Missy was going to be. And Lauren Lapkus, who I'd previously really only saw in Orange is the New Black, um, and you said there was something else. That she, and Holmes and Watson. Holmes and Watson. Holmes and Watson. Um, but um, <laughs> she, I feel like, went against that uh, idea we were talking about in the first part of being lazy. Yeah. Because I feel like this is one of the first times where I've watched an Adam Sandler type movie and felt like somebody genuinely tried to do like a career making performance in one. Like showing off a comedic range within the character she was given and just just demonstrating a lot of effort. And if she was doing it with a better script, I think she would have been able to nail it. Yeah. Because there was there was an endearingness to Missy. Yeah. And that's like, I would say, the only reason to possibly watch this movie... No, there's no is, reason to watch no, this movie. No, no, I'm movie. just saying, if, if down the road, she actually becomes like, oh, you're like, she now gets her own movies... Like, she becomes a lead in movies, which I could actually kind of see. Like, she genuinely, I, I feel like, has a comedic 
sense mm-hmm. that you could actually see her leading a movie. The only reason would be to go back, watch this movie, and then go and appreciate those <laughs> other movies for being better. I hope, though, because she was in Holmes and Watson and she was in this, both of which are movies that we've now talked about on this show. Yes. I hope that she doesn't become locked into the Adam Sandler genre. Mm-hmm. Because that does appear to be the direction that her career looks like it might be going in. Yeah, and... she got two Razzie nominations for this movie, oh. which I feel like were slightly undeserved. I mean, the Razzies tends to nominate bigger movies more based on what's going to get attention, more based on what's the worst of the worst. Like, the easy targets, yeah. The, the, the low-hanging fruit. Like, there's something to be said about how uh, Cats in 2019 swept all of the Razzie Awards and every single other movie that was nominated for the Razzies was substantially less watchable than Cats. Yeah. Um... I just wanted to point that out before before we side off. I wanted to leave on, you know, the one high note that you could take away from this movie. Yeah. Doesn't have to do anything to do with the script, the direction. It was just one actor trying desperately to stop herself from being in a terrible movie and just, like, not being able to overcome every other aspect of it. Yeah. Also, the CGI shark wasn't bad. That's true. It, it was it was better than I was expecting for a movie like this. If it killed Rob Schneider, I would I have, might have been more sympathetic towards it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the wrong Missy. I have been Jared Aronoff. You can find me on Twitter at Jared Aronoff. I have been Eric Tish. You can find me not going on a plane to Hawaii anytime soon because I still feel like travel. It's a weird thing to do right now. <laughs> Uh, our theme song was composed and performed by the one and only Tarquin Alexandra. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at Tark Alexandra. That's T-A-R-Q Alexandra. And you can stream her newest EP, A Tyrant's Demise, on Spotify, Apple, or any other music platform of your choice. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash flumdumpster if you want to give us even more support than you already do by listening. Yeah! So what have we learned today, Jared? Uh, we have learned that Rob Schneider really likes saying the word pubes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our discussion of The Wrong Missy, and I hope as well that you all vote. If the concept were to exist that I'm to explain, which it doesn't, in hypothetical terms, every form of art has a bucket, a container to categorize the format and style, the grades and the run. The podcast that you've just consumed did the work for you, always scraping the bottom.